Blog Talk Radio.
Shalom, shalom, shalom. Babakratawab, which means good morning in the ancient Paleo Hebrew. I'm your brother, your host, your friend, as always, Tazapa. Welcome to the show, y'all. Like the brother said, come get with me, sit with me, sit with me. I'm going to show you mysteries. <laughs> I love this song, man. I never get tired of hearing it, man. I hope everybody is uh, feeling good, man. Everybody's morning off to a good start. I hope everybody had a great Shabbat, a great weekend, man. I hope everybody is healthy, man. Health, 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 man. Health is wealth, man. It truly is, man. Um, matter of fact, man. Let me get this, man. Uh, give me a second, y'all. This just kind of hit me. All right, y'all. Uh, this is Ecclesiasticus, chapter 30, verse 15. Health and good state of the body are above all gold, and a strong body Above infinite wealth, man. There is no riches above a sound body and no joy above the joy of the heart. So the heart talks about your mind, man. So it's talking about your body, your good health being the most precious thing. And also your mind, man, to have peace of mind. It's talking about mental health because that seems to be the topic that everybody or the term that everybody's letting fly loosely out their mouth, man, and not really understanding completely what mental health is, man. Mental health is indeed having a peace of mind, man, and not being focused Primarily on your day-to-day, man. When I say your day-to-day, I'm talking about how you going to pay this bill, how you going to pay that bill, um, dealing with your kids or your spouse, man. We're under uh, stresses, whether it be conscious or subconscious, man. And some of it, honestly, y'all, just comes along with the territory, man. We just got to deal. But thank the most high. The water you howl, that he sent us sent us this book as uh, Saint John, the fourteenth chapter and the twenty sixth verse refers to as the Comforter, man. The Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, man. It gives us this comfort, man. I, I for one, don't know. I truly don't know uh, where I would be if I did not have the instruction manual that we loosely refer to as the Bible, man, because that's exactly what it is. It's an instruction manual, and it's a peace of mind, man. It is a peace of mind, and it's a comfort. It is a comfort, y'all. I'm telling you. I know uh, before I came into the truth, man, I was a mess. Mentally, I was a mess. I was actually seeing a shrink before I came into the truth. Um, cause man, I couldn't get it together. I'm telling you, I could not get it together. My mind was everywhere, 
and uh, I probably was on the verge of a mental collapse, man, honestly. But uh, Rock Thayer Habashim Yashai, thank the most high, man, and thank Christ, man, that uh, I was fortunate enough to run into some brothers in the mall <laughs> and uh, get information concerning this thing we call the truth. And uh, I came on in to the sheepfold, man. So anyway, man, I want to send shots out to uh, those brothers I just alluded to here in San Antonio. <laughs> uh, the first brother I met, that brother being Shamshawan. Shout out to you, uh, the water, uh, for being the most hot vessel that he used uh, to bring me on in, man. So shout out to you brothers here in San Antonio. Shout out to uh, our brothers, our affiliated schools, ISBHPK. Down in uh, Houston, Tejas, the brothers out there in uh, VA, the brothers in Rochester, New York. Uh, also, uh, our new additions out in Canada and California. Shouts out to Kyle Cobb down in Guatemala. And um, the brothers in Albuquerque, man, ABQ, man. The brother Aish, uh, the brother Dariad, and the crew out there, man, doing their thing. Shouts out to y'all, brothers. Ain't heard from you brothers in a minute. I uh, look forward to seeing you. And uh, shout out to uh, Mashaba, man, my brother here in San Antonio, man, my brother in arms. Uh, been through a lot together. My first teacher uh, enlightened me <laughs> on the knowledge of the Most High. Shout out to you, brother. Hope you are feeling uh, well this morning. Um, what else, man? I don't think I got anything else. Let me go ahead and get into it, y'all. If it's your first time tuning in to the show, uh, yes, we are Hebrew Israelites. We are affiliated with all Hebrew Israelites, man. Shout out to the 12 tribes world, worldwide, man. We don't claim to be on some level. We don't claim to be the only uh, brothers and sisters in this walk. Uh, we don't uh, big up ourselves and make ourselves of any uh, reputation, man. Like I said, man, we down with all Israelites uh, far and wide, man, who uh, believe in Christ, who keep the commandments. Uh, we even mess with some of our Old Testament only brothers, man, you know. Try to bring them into the light of your house shy, man, show them that uh, the only way to get salvation, to get saved out of this demonic ass place is through your house shy, man. And that is a fact. That is a fact, man. But uh, I usually do about an hour of news, uh, current events, um, my soapbox, speak my mind, which I'm doing now. <laughs> uh, do about an hour of that, man. And before I get into the show, on the today's show, show topic is an extension of a series I've been working on for quite some time uh, entitled Never Waxed Pale, man, the beginning of the end. And what we're going to do today is get into, uh, like I said, man, the beginning of the end, the beginning of uh, Christ uh, being sold out and then um, his death and then eventually get into the aftermath. Uh, matter of fact, before we get into the aftermath, uh, we'll get into what uh, preceded his death, what led to it. <laughs> so anyway, y'all, like I always do, let's get Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. And it reads, after this manner, 
Therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, man. So this is the prayer we need to be sent up on a daily, man, so we can get the hell on, man. Ain't got to worry about those stresses that uh, we be stressing over on the daily anymore. When the most high kingdom kingdom comes, and it's coming to us, man. <laughs> we ain't going to it. It's coming to us. Uh, Psalm chapter 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most high brought you to it. He'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it, brothers and sisters. Please believe it. All right, y'all. So I want to get into uh, this is actually actually an article that I wanted to cover last week. I ran out of time, but I'm definitely going to go ahead and get into it this week. It's kind of old, y'all, and uh, I haven't followed up on it yet because I was looking at some other stuff. But this is from July 1st, uh, 2023, uh, and it's from what publication, uh, CBS News. And the headline reads, France protests continue as funeral begins for teen killed by police. No, you don't say. So this is uh, not exclusive to so-called blacks and Hispanics living here in the States, y'all. This is global, man. This is global. Like the Most High told us that the curses were going to be global on the children of Israel, and this is part of them, and we're definitely going to get into Deuteronomy 28. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm keep beating Deuteronomy 28, and I'm trying to work it in every broadcast, man, honestly, because our people still sleep. Anyway, it reads, it says, rioting rage in cities across France from a, from a, uh, I'm sorry, uh, from a fortnight, despite a huge police uh, deployment and 1,311 arrests with cars and buildings set ablaze and stores looted as family and friends prepare charity to bury a 17-year-old who's killing by police unleashed the unrest. So I don't know if y'all heard about this, but this has been going on. Like I said, this article is from uh, July, but I believe the killing happened even before that. Um, but this was a, a 17-year-old brother who was killed. I know a lot of people like, well, you don't know if he was a brother. You don't know if uh, he was an Islam. I'm going to read the rest of this article, and then y'all make the determination. It says, France Interior Minister announced the new figure for arrests around the country where 45,000 police officers fanned out in a so far unsuccessful bid to quill violence. So they having an issue trying to stop it. I don't know if they stopped it yet. It says, despite an appeal to uh, parents by President Emmanuel Marcon to keep their children at home, street clashes between young protesters and police raged on. 2,500 fires were set, and stores were ransacked, according to authorities. 
The funeral ceremony for the team identified only as Nahel, who was killed by police in the Paris suburb of Nat- Nature on Tuesday. <laughs> suburb, they say. Okay. Uh, began on Saturday. Family and friends were viewing the open coffin before it, before it will be taken to a mosque for a ceremony and later buried. I'm sorry, buried, and later burial in a town ceremony. As the number of arrests continued to mount, the government suggests the violence was beginning to lessen thanks to tougher security measures. Since the unrest began on Tuesday night, police have made a total of 2,400 arrests, more than half of those in, fort, in the fourth night of violence. Now, once again, y'all, this article is from July 1st, okay, so it's old. Still, the damage was widespread. From Paris to Marseille and Leiden, and even far away in the French territories overseas. I hope y'all hear this. French territories overseas, where a 54-year-old died after being hit by a stray bullet in French Guiana. So if we're unfamiliar with geography, French Guiana is one of the territories of France that they colonized. They call it a, a French uh, department, but it's actually a, a, a colonized uh, colony that the French basically took over. And French Guiana since sits right at the northern tip on the coastline of South America, y'all. And if you know anything about history and geography, about, oh, man, I always forget this percentage. I believe it was like 30% of the slave trade actually went to Central and South America, y'all. So these are our people. These are definitely our people. And um, our people are basically uh, up in arms because of the oppression that they've been under. Like it tells you in Ecclesiastes 7 and 7, it says, surely oppression maketh a wise man man mad. So this is our people, man, looting and tearing stuff up. No different than, you know, the George Floyd stuff and all the stuff that's going on during the pandemic, man. It's just on a different continent. That's all. Two different continents. Um. You know, hundreds of police and firefighters have been injured, including 79 overnight. But authorities haven't released injury tallies for protesters. France national soccer team, including international star Kaylin, I'm about to butcher this dude's name, Kaylin Mbappé, an idol to many young people in the disadvantaged neighborhoods where the anger is rooted, pleaded for the end to the violence. And what they do, man, is they always try to use one of us to speak to us. You know, like, go go and calm your people down. Why why are your people so angry? (laughs) Go go talk to them. They always send their representatives. You know, you always get some sellout nigga, some nigga that his career is being threatened or something, they're threatening him with something. To go go talk to your people so you can keep what you got. It's it's always that man, always. You know it says many of us are working class neighbors 
or neighborhoods. We too share this feeling of pain and sadness over the killing of 17-year-old Nahel, the player said in a statement. Violence resolves nothing. There are other peaceful and constructive ways to express yourself. You know what gets me, man, with uh, Esau? Is they'll always say uh, violence is not the answer. Violence is not the answer. Violence is not the way. But how did you colonialize all the places, the countries that you colonialized by violence? How did you get all the stuff? How did you acquire all the things that you now have? How did you acquire the money, the power, the wealth that you have? It was through violence. But you want to tell us what? <laughs> violence resolves nothing. <laughs> but you do it. Look at the, hypocr- the, the hypocrisy of these people, man. Read on. They said it's time for mourning, dialogue, and reconstruction instead. <laughs> now they want to talk. Nahel's mother, identified as Monia M., told France Five Television that she was angry at the officer, but not at the police in general. He saw a little, uh, he saw a little Arab-looking kid. He wanted to take his life, she said. A police officer cannot take his gun and fire at our children. Take our children's lives, she said. The family has roots in Algeria. Algeria, y'all, this West Africa, in case you didn't know. And that West Africa is where a lot of the slave force were. Uh, the slaying of Nahel stirred up long simmering tensions between police and young people and housing projects who struggle with poverty and racial discrimination. You don't say. So housing projects is not or not exclusive to the U.S. They had this plan across the board to put us in sub, sub, subhuman conditions. Nothing new. Uh, the subsequent the rioting is the worst France has seen in years and puts new pressure on Marcon, who blames social media for fueling violence. <laughs> Anger erupted in the Paris suburb after Nahel's death they're Tuesday and quickly spread nationwide. And I'm seeing the pictures, y'all. They, they tore it up. It looks like uh, the rise of like Rodney King, the Rodney King rise out in L.A. That's what it looked like. Early Saturday, fire, fire, firefighters and Naturel, in Naturel extinguished, extinguished blazes set by protesters that left scored, scored remains of cars shooed across the streets. In the neighboring suburb, Columbus, protesters overturned garbage bins and used them for makeshift barricades. Looters during the, during the evening broke into a gun shop and made off with weapons in the Mediterranean port city of Marseille, police said. Officers in Marseille arrested nearly 90 people as groups of protesters lit cars on fire and broke store windows to take what was inside. Buildings and businesses were also vandalized in the eastern city of Leon, where a third of the roughly 30 arrests made were for, th- for, for theft, police said. Authorities reported, I'm sorry, authorities reported fire in the streets after an unauthorized protest drew more than 1,000 people early Friday evening. 
with fewer fires, cars burned, and police stations attacked around France and on the previous nights. According to the Interior Ministry, Interior Minister Gerard Demayan claimed the violence was of much less intensity. Now, Tereg Mayor Patrick Jerry said that France needs to push for charges and, and disadvantage. I'm sorry. Let me read this again, y'all. Now, Tereg Mayor Patrick Jerry said that France needs to push for changes in disadvantaged neighborhoods. Despite repeated government appeals for calm and stiffer policing, there has been brazen daylight violence, too. An Apple store was looted in the eastern city of Straubal on Friday. That same day, windows of a fast food outlet were smashed in a Paris-area shopping mall. In the face of the elating crisis that hundreds of arrests, massive police deployments have failed to quell, Macron held off on declaring a state of emergency, an option that was used in similar circumstances in 2005. Instead, his government ratcheted up its law enforcement response with the mass development of police officers, including some who were called back from vacation. All right, so let me skip down a little bit. It says the police officer accused of killing Mahel was given a preliminary charge of voluntary homicide. Preliminary charges mean investigation magistrates strongly suspect wrongdoing, but need to investigate more before sending the case to trial. Now, Terrell, uh prosecutor Pascal Pati uh, said that his invest in his initial investigation led him to conclude that the officer's use of his weapon wasn't legally justified. Race was a taboo topic for decades in France, which is officially committed to a doctrine of colorblind universalism. <laughs> in the wake of Nahel's killing, French anti-racist activists renewed complaints about police behavior. So this has been going on. 13 people who didn't comply with traffic stops were fatally shot by French police last year. So this is, like I said, nothing new. This year, another three people, including the hell, died under similar circumstances. The deaths it demands for more accountability in France, which also saw racial justice protests after George Floyd's killing by police. In Minnesota, man. So look how this is going on globally, man. And our people are somewhat trying to unify, man, in um, oppression or fighting their oppressors. I think we're finally starting to comprehend that we have a common enemy, man, and we need to stop fighting against ourselves. Uh, Let me get Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16. Our people, man, seem to be finally, finally waking up a little bit, right? 
So Deuteronomy chapter six, I'm sorry, chapter twenty verse sixteen reads this Curse shall shall thou be in the city, and curse thou shalt thou be in the field. So if you're unfamiliar with Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight, Deuteronomy twenty eight, the whole chapter, is what we use to teach our people and to show them that these particular curses only affect one group on the face of the planet. And that's black and brown people, man. That's who we're loosely referred to, but we are actually, truly, the people of the book, so-called blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans. I'm talking about here in the Western Hemisphere, but our people are scattered throughout the four corners of the globe. This scripture here in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 16, tells us that God's people were going to be cursed in the city and cursed throughout, it says, uh, in the field. So to be cursed in the city, man, and we always bring these examples out, you go to any city in the U.S., man, and you can see, go to any Martin Luther, <laughs> any Martin Luther, from sea to shining sea, and what are you going to see there? Some drugs being sold, uh, some prostitution, um, some type of crime going on. You're going to see a, a enough family dollars and dollar trees and fast food places, <laughs> more than you, you, know, you would like to see. A couple churches, maybe a gun shop or two. You'll see a bunch of ghetto living, man, a bunch of ghetto life. This is not a coincidence, y'all. This is by design. The Most High told us that these things were going to happen to us, that these curses were going to come on his chosen people. Matter of fact, let me jump to verse 45. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee, Till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord thy God. So why is this stuff happening to us? Because we don't listen, man. We're some hard-headed, stiff-necked people, man. This is why you gotta tell you gotta tell us something a thousand times before we get it. We're really insane. We keep trying the same thing over and over and over again, and see that ain't work. It ain't working. We just keep doing it again. We'll even move to another city and try to do it. Only to find out it ain't working. But that's the most high. People talk about, especially our people, talk about generational curses. The generational curses is Deuteronomy 28. Those are damn generational curses. Well, I think my family curse, if you black, you are black or so-called Spanish Native American, yeah, facts. Your family is cursed. But not just your immediate family, your family abroad also, your family as a whole, collectively. We're all cursed. Think about it, y'all. We got dope. We got at least one dauphin every family, at least one jailbird every family, at least one sodomite every family. That's not by coincidence. It's not. You know, um, it says because thou hearkenest not to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep His commandments and His statutes which He commanded. Thee. Now this part I'm going to get to, verse forty-six. And they, the they is the curses, shall be upon thee for a sign. So the curses 
that God was going to put on his people, God currently has on his people, were going to be put there for a sign, for a sign that you would know, hey, these are God's people. So you can find a people anywhere across the globe that match up with these curses, guess what? Those are God's people. Verse 46 again. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder, and upon thy seed forever. So these curses were going to be for a sign and going to be on God's people and their children. That's what it means, seed, forever, man. This is why you got um, second and third generation of black and brown people living in poverty. You got, uh, like I said, first, third, first, second, third, fourth generation of people that grew up in the projects. Hell, I remember that. Cause if you on the line, I know you remember. We was in the Maple Courts, and my whole damn near my whole family stayed in them courts. Had my my grandma, granny, she stayed in one. Matter of fact, they stayed in the same court. They was in, she was in the court, had a little uh, apartment in the corner, and then uh, right across the walkway, my Aunt Joyce stayed there uh, with her two kids, my cousin Chucky and my cousin Tasha, and um, who else stayed with Granny? Oh, all my uncles stayed there, and Auntie Laybug stayed there, and then right up the walk, from uh, where Granny stayed, the court Granny stayed in, we stayed there. I stayed there with my mama, my father, and um, my sisters. <laughs> oh, y'all! I didn't know y'all stayed in that court. He, my cousin, just chimed in. He said that they stayed in the court with my grandma. And uh, Auntie Joyce, rest of the soul, used to stay. Man, it's been so long, cuz. It's been so long. Yeah, man, but like I said, every half of my family was in them damn courts, <laughs> which was projects, man. Which was projects. Uh, but this was the curse the most I said was going to be. You know what? You're right, cuz. I do remember that. Y'all stayed right upstairs over Aunt Joy's. Man, how could I forget that? Y'all so did. Y'all stayed right upstairs. <laughs> you know, and what gets me too, man, about how they do us when they put us in these projects, it's like a, a it's it's a, what's the word I'm looking for? They insult us by naming them you know, good names like a court or a terrace or a place. <laughs> you know, like like these like these places is like the best place to live. <laughs> it be named something terrace and it it be the raggliest place you ever want to see, man. I remember our our project experience, we had no grass, y'all. I mean, it was places where grass was supposed to be, and when they first like opened them, maybe it was grass. I don't, I don't ever remember it being grass in those places. It was just dirt. It was dirt and damn concrete. You might have a patch of grass here or there and a couple bushes, but it was primarily it was just damn dirt. 
And I don't remember seeing many trees either. They do this on purpose, man. This has a mental effect on you. You don't see no grass and no trees. It's just damn dirt and concrete. So what impression do you have on yourself as the world sees you? Hell, as you see yourself, you're not even worth grass and trees. And then they put you in these apartments as like damn cracker boxes with damn concrete floors. Concrete floors, y'all. What other places have concrete floors? Prisons. Prisons. That's what they're setting us up for. They're conditioning our minds and getting us ready for the prison complex, man, the industrialized prison complex. I hope y'all see this, man, but this is not exclusive to just us. Now, I said that these curses are going to be on God's people for a sign and for a wonder. But you might see these curses and say, those are God's people. You might be able to identify them with the scriptures. And that's what we do. It's what we use Deuteronomy 28 for. Going back to verse 16, it says, Curse shall thou be in the city, curse shall thou be in the field. Now, what's the field? We're going to use the Bible to break the Bible down. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, man. Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. And it reads, The field is the world. <laughs> so it says in verse Deuteronomy 28, verse 16, Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. What field? The world. So you're going to have projects all across the world, just like I read in this article. Damn projects over in Paris. And who living there? Us, <laughs> brown people, God's people, Israelites. This is not a coincidence, y'all. Hey, I just read articles, articles last week on our people over in Denmark. That was fight that was fighting against oppression, which also uh, sprinkled down to a, 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 a Dutch colony that they colonized, uh, Suriname. Those brothers and sisters over there up in arms. The Dutch apologized for slavery. The churches of the Dutch apologized for slavery. Go back, y'all. Check last week's episode out. Real interesting. That's why. I had this article I wanted to run with it because it actually goes together, but I just didn't have time. But the Most High said that these curses were going to befall his people. Now, we're going back to Deuteronomy 28, and we're going to read verse 29. Watch this. And thou shalt grope at noonday. Noonday is when the sun is at its highest. You can see everything clear, but the Most High said that these curses, one of the curses was we're going to be groping. To grope me, you're just reaching for stuff. You're reaching for stuff. How are you reaching for stuff and it's the highest point of the day? Because he's saying we was going to be blind, man. We was going to be blind to the fact who we are as a people and as a nation. He cut that off for not keeping his commandments. This is why you get us, man. We big jack of trades, master of none. We, first, we got this career. Then we we doing this. Now we're real estate broker. Now we're a DJ. <laughs> we be all over the place, man, just groping, trying to find things that fit. We do the same thing with religion. Oh, first we was a Muslim. Then we they said, nah, that ain't the way. 
Now we Buddhists. Now we're five percenters. But now we up in the church. Oh no, I don't listen to that to to, to them because they 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 teach uh, the poverty or the uh, prosperity teaching. All right, so I ain't with them. I'm over here with the Poe Church, <laughs> the storefront church, because this is more godly. <laughs> Well, you actually have people that think like this or people that think that because um, my church has a biblical reference in it, then this is the church. This is the real church that we're supposed to be in. This is the church that's really serving God. <laughs> I've heard people say this, man. It's nonsense. But this is a part of the curse. This is how we be just groping for stuff. Or, oh, I'm just spiritual. I'm, I'm into... Um, Astrology Or I do believe in a higher power It's just not that book that y'all read Our people man We we be saying all kind of crazy stuff But we're just groping Reaching for stuff That don't even fit our spirit That's why we keep reaching for stuff Because we still have that void That is not being fulfilled And that void can only be fulfilled With Our true Power, which is the most high And his words Which is contained in the book we loosely refer to As the Bible The volume of books The most high said Let me read it again Verse 29 And thou shalt grope at noonday As the blind grope it in darkness And thou shalt not prosper In thy ways So all the groping we doing all the career changes, all the moves we did throughout the states, different cities, different countries, only to find out you still ain't got no answer. <laughs> you still don't know who the hell you are. It says, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall buy thee, or sorry, I'm sorry, save thee. It says that the children of Israel, God's chosen people, are only going to be oppressed. I just read, this is why I read the article, to show you the oppression that our brothers and sisters are experiencing way over in France, way over down in French Guiana. All across, all across the globe, man, our people are going through some oppression. It's not a coincidence, man. These are God's chosen people. All right, y'all. Let me go here. Uh, there's so many tabs open. Here we go. I know y'all been feeling this, man. I know we have down here. Uh, this is from CNN.com, y'all. The headline reads, Millions face extreme heat in the U.S., Europe, and China. What we're covering, blistering heat temperatures are being reported across the world, breaking records on multiple continents. The latest is a trend caused by the climate crisis. The first week of July was the hottest week on record, data shows. Southern Iran registered a heat index value. The apparent, uh, the apparent feels like temperatures to the human body of 152 degrees Fahrenheit on Sunday. Heat indexes of 160 
or widely considered the upper threshold of what humans can endure. In the United States, millions of people in Southwest and in, in, in Southwest and South and, the, and South face dangerously high temperatures. Some places such as Texas, <laughs> no doubt, we are feeling it, man. What is this, our second or third week? Every day, man, it's been 104, 103. You ain't gotta you gotta look at the weather no more on your phone. You ain't gotta even Google it. You already know it's gonna be a hundred and some degrees in Texas. You already know this. I was just talking to uh talking to Quasas out last week before last. He was talking about uh Houston. And Houston is a different type of heat, y'all, because they buy the water, so it's a lot muggier down there. But Houston usually gives rain, a lot of rain during the summer months. That's what Houston knows for. It does a lot of flooding down there, too. He said he can't remember the last time it rained. Same here. Same in San Antonio. Because we was talking about his garden, and he had certain uh, fruits and vegetables that was prospering in his heat, and some was just dying off. And I was just telling him, man, that's the reason I ain't planting nothing this year, y'all. I ain't planting nothing last year either. Matter of fact, yeah, I did. I planted uh, a couple things, but only the sweet potatoes survived. But uh, I was so discouraged this year because I knew it was going to be hot again. And, man, will you, if you've ever gardened, it's very tedious, y'all, very tedious. The planting, turning the earth up, that's the easy part. The hard part is getting your butt up in the evening to go out there and water. And not even weeding is hard. It's the watering. Because the temperatures be so hot, man, you got to really soak your, the stuff that you're growing. You out there getting bit up by mosquitoes, fighting the elements. And then it gets so dry that certain bugs just be attracted to the uh, the dry or attracted, attracted to the moisture, the moisture that's in your uh plants or whatever you're growing, they just start attacking your stuff and eating it up. Yeah, tried that too, cuz. I got one million. <laughs> I got one million when I did that. Oh, the Mishawa. Yeah, I got one watermelon, Mishawa. <laughs> yeah, the bugs come out, man, they start eating your stuff and you get frustrated because now you got to go out there and spray and you go out there and spray, and hopefully you found something natural to spray on them, like some uh, neem oil or something. You spray that on them, but then you go out there and water. You wash the spray off, so guess what you got to do? You got to spray them again. It's very tedious, man. And like I said, you get frustrated to put in all that work, man, and you you have like, you know, maybe two, three tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, man. The only thing that I found that grows good in this heat was uh, sweet potatoes, um, okra. Okra does wonderful in this heat. Uh, basil does good in this heat. Uh, what else? Cucumbers did okay. They require a lot of water, though. They did okay. I ain't having a problem with them. Quite as I've said, he's having a lot of problems with his cucumbers and his squash. I've never been successful with squash, so big up to you, brother. Grapes, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know about grapes. I'll try. Not this year though. I I'll put some stuff in the ground probably September, man. Go some winter stuff. 
But anyway, it says uh, some places such as Texas and Arizona have experienced a weeks-long heat streak. <laughs> the heat has primed the land for fires in places like Spain and Greece. Smoke from uh, wildfires in Canada is triggering unhealthy air warnings across the northern tier of the United States. So, man, this is all over, man. China, uh, over in Europe, um, all throughout Asia. So global warning, uh, warming is a real thing, man. Let's get Revelation chapter 7. And I've read this before, but we're going to read it again. It's all we do anyway. <laughs> Keep reading scriptures. Prophesying to the wind. Revelation 71. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. The wind represents destruction, y'all that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Listen to this, verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. The reason I'm reading this, y'all, is because the earth is being hurt right now. So if the earth is being hurt right now, then that means the living servants of the Most High are being sealed or already been sealed. We're getting close to the end, y'all. I hope y'all are seeing this. We're getting there. We're getting close, but I want y'all to understand that before things ain't gonna get better. <laughs> I'm gonna say that. Things under the current uh rulership of the world is not gonna get better. Things have to be torn down and redone. That's how bad and polluted the earth is, man. Y'all do some more research on this global warming thing and read about because we got parts of the country uh experiencing extreme heat and you got other parts of the country Experiencing damn floods right now. That's not a coincidence. But like I said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And what does that mean for us? It means everything to us is very crucial, uh, us being consumers. And when I say consumers, I'm talking about at the grocery store, man. This is why they ushering in all this genetically modified this, genetically modified that. Matter of fact, I was checking this brother out on YouTube last night, and he had a list of how many foods was it? Let me see. Because I sent it out on the family group thread. It was 12 U.S. foods that are banned. <laughs> <laughs> 12 of them, man. He was talking about one of them being ground beef because of the pink slime. Now, I remember hearing about the pink slime years ago, and uh, I thought it was only exclusive to McDonald's, but 
according to what this brother was saying and according to what I looked up after I watched his video, yeah, ground beef, U.S. ground beef has what, what they call pink slime and it's basically a filling. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. This is the most high speaking. He's got to create a new heaven and a new earth. Man, this place is done. It's a wrap. It's been too polluted. Verse 18. But be ye glad. Listen to this. Like I told y'all, man, it's light at the end of the tunnel. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of Crying, man, talking about us. We're talking about Jerusalem. It's talking about God's chosen people, man, the Israelites. He said we ain't going to be crying no more, man. We ain't going to be weeping no more about how hot it is or the food prices or what the hell they putting in the food, you know? And I don't want us to get caught up, and I said this before, to get caught up in, oh, man, I'm just, I'm just going to eat air. <laughs> I ain't just going. I ain't gonna eat it all. I don't care what you what you're trying to do, man. If you're trying to go just vegetarian, vegan, whatever, now you got to worry about the pesticides, even the ones they don't tell you about. Then you got to wonder, hey, was this really made in the lab? Because when they put stuff on labels, man, like. That says all natural this, organic that. I I pay that stuff no attention, y'all. I'm be honest with y'all. I pay it no attention because that stuff is not even uh, it's not sanctioned or it's not scrutinized by the uh, food and food and drug administration. You can put you can put whatever you want to on 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 food <laughs> on the front pack. The only thing that really counts is the label on the back, which people rarely read. First Peter chapter three, and we're gonna read verse thirteen. Oh, let me finish my statement. Yeah, you can decide to do all of that, y'all. But remember what Christ said. He said, "Except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved." Man, every every damn thing, man. Sadly to say, is tainted by you know who. The so-called white man. They do stuff that don't even make sense. I remember I was trying to find some lime juice that was like, you know, from concentrate that didn't have any, uh, you know, that was not uh, ultra processed. And I found, I forgot the name, what they called it, but it was some lime juice that come in a little, you know, a little uh, lime-shaped bottle you could find in the produce section. And I forgot the terminology they gave it. But it was basically juice that they had broke down out of its natural form and added some other stuff to it. You know, they Esau just go out of his way to pollute stuff. It's just it's in his nature, man. <laughs> it's just in his nature. 
But my point in saying all this, y'all, unless Christ heard and come back, ain't no be nobody to survive this, man. And that's the God's honest truth. Be as cautious as you can, man. And the truth of the matter is most of us really can't afford to eat the food that's been less processed. That's just being real. I mean, you can try. You can try. And then let's say you do go uh, vegan or whatever, man. I don't know if y'all knew this, man, but there are certain elements in meat that's good for your brain. I've done the research, y'all. I've done the, the whole vegan thing, man. And I would have bouts where um, I would feel stupid, like literally, like an idiot. Like my thought process was off. I remember telling my brother that when I was actually doing it. But there are certain uh, chemicals in meat, man, that help your brain function, man. It's in other foods too, man, but my point is saying this, man. Except, except those days be short. No flesh is going to be saved, y'all. I want us to understand this. I'm not telling y'all to just eat mindlessly and put whatever in your mouth. I'm not saying that. Still be conscious, as, as conscious as you can. But don't be over-righteous, man. Don't be thinking because you live in a, in a bubble like little, like little Michael and you're just eating air that you're just going to live forever. No. We're in perilous times like the book tells us. These are dangerous times, y'all. The, the scriptures say the earth is given to the hand of the wicked. These people really are wicked. To put chemicals in food that they know that your body does not recognize as food, yeah. To be creating food, to tear up the environment the way they've tar- torn it up, to where now they ain't got no choice. They got to just create food. Or they're going to have riots on their hands because people are going to be starving and looting, killing each other for food. It's coming. It's coming, y'all. Don't be surprised. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm in the wrong chapter. Wrong book, even. I meant Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter three, and verse thirteen. How much time I got? Oh man, I'm out of time. It says Second Peter chapter three, verse thirteen. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven. What are we looking for? We're looking for new heavens, like it tells us in uh, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth coming. So Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So what's going to be going on in the kingdom to come? Like it tells us in Matthew chapter 6, uh Verse 9, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So the most high will is going to be done on earth as in heaven, man. This place is going to be righteous. It's going to have to be destroyed first and then made righteous. And I'm talking about the world as a whole. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent 
that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, man. Don't let the world spot your soul up. Don't lose your peace of mind. Don't believe, I'm sorry, don't lose your belief in the most high Christ that he's coming to give us a righteous kingdom, man. We can't lose sight of that. Like they say, keep your eyes on the prize. All right, y'all, that's it for the news. I did have another article, but I do not have time to get that article. I'm definitely going to dive in, man, class, on the other side of this brief, brief intermission, y'all. I'll be right back. y'all i am back um so let's go ahead and get into the class entitled never wax tail the beginning of the end all right y'all so last week uh we covered quite a bit um talked about uh who christ was coming to save why he was coming to do it and um for if you haven't been keeping up with the class we're in the Roman captivity. Captivity. That's the time period that the New Testament takes place in, in the Roman captivity. And what I've been doing, y'all, is I've been covering our history, the Israelites' history, from the split of the kingdom around 930 B.C. And if you're unfamiliar with that, man, please go back and read uh, First Kings, yeah, Kings, yeah, Kings chapter 11 and read on up, man, from there. And it will let you know um, what happened to the split of the kingdom, uh, who was in what kingdom, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom. And it goes on into um, the captivity of the northern kingdom and the captivity of the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom, they didn't go into the captivities, not all of them, into the same captivities that the southern kingdom went into. The northern kingdom was took out 
by the Assyrians. And then you had the southern kingdom. They went through the Babylonian captivity, the Persian Mede captivity, the Greek captivity, and then the Roman captivity. And that's the setting in the New Testament, y'all. So still dealing with salvation. And um, let's do a little quick recap. Let's go to St. John chapter 3, y'all. And I did this last week, but uh, doing a, a quick recap as we roll on into the class. St. John chapter 3, and I want to start. Let's get verse 16. Matter of fact, let's go to verse 14. We'll read it in context. Um, St. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, we covered this last week and what, uh, what Yahweh Shai, who the world calls Christ, what he's alluding to or mentioning or referencing is Numbers, the 21st chapter. I implore y'all to go back and read it, man, because it's very important as it pertains to understanding St. John chapter 3 and the most famous verse we're about to read in verse 16. So verse 14 again, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, a lot of people read this and say this includes the whole world. No, read it in the context. Go back and read Numbers chapter 21. And see what he's talking about, what he's referencing, because what he's saying in verse 16 is basically the same exact thing. And that world, being the world of Israel, I covered this last week, and you can go back for references, uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 17, you find out that Israel is a world without ends. So going on, verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, so it tells you that the Most High didn't send Christ into the world of Israel to condemn Israel. But that's what a lot of Israelites during the time of Christ thought, that they were being condemned because Christ was telling, the, telling us the truth about ourselves to our faith. He says, but that the world through him might be saved. So that was his real purpose, to get us to stop doing the stuff we was doing and currently doing. Verse 18, sadly to say, he that believed on him, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So he's letting you know that the believers of him were not going to be condemned, but if you were a non-believer, you were going to be condemned. And who were the non-believers during this time? It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees. It was also the essence that didn't believe in Christ and that he fought the most. It says, because he had not believed the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the, and this is the condemnation that, the, that light has come unto the world. And men love darkness. The light, light exposes things. You know, like you, if you were unfortunate to live in a project house or subsidized housing, and you come in the kitchen and turn the lights on, you see roaches running, right? Because light exposes things. And that's what Christ did. Exposed Israel 
uh, and showed the whole world of Israel their shortcomings, man. That's why it says, and men love darkness rather than light. They didn't want their sins to be uncovered and be revealed. Reading on, it says, because their deeds were evil. They didn't want want their stuff to be put on blast. This is why they hated Christ. This is why they kept coming against Christ, because he constantly reminded them they was hypocrites. Now, let me prove that. And uh, this was prophesied also in the Bible. Let's get Isaiah chapter 61. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm jumping the gun. I'm sorry, y'all. Keep reading. We're going to read to verse 20. It says, For everyone that doeth evil hate the light, neither come to light, neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. All right, now let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 33. Bear with me, y'all. I'm getting there. We're going to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 33. I may run a little over today, man. We got a lot of reading to do. I'm going to be jumping back and forth. Uh, so Matthew chapter 9, verse 33, and it reads, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitude marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. So this was Christ healing these people. He was casting out devils. He was making people that was that couldn't speak, speak. And they said, man, this has never been done in Israel, verse 34. But the Pharisees said he cast out devils through the prince of devils. Like I said, the Pharisees were Christ's biggest opponents. And they telling him he's casting devils out because he is a devil. You know. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. So this is what Yahweh Christ was doing. And the whole time these Pharisees was hating on him, verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When he's talking about he, the multitude, he's talking about the Israelites. He was moved with compassion on us. And then it says because we were scattered abroad, we were scattered throughout the four corners of the globe through the many different captivities that we've been in, and not just the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom going into the Assyrian captivity, the southern kingdom going into four different captivities, the uh, Babylonian captivity, the Persian Mede captivity, the Greek captivity, then the Roman captivity. So Christ was filling for us. He really had compassion and he really loved us. But this is what he was going against. These haters, the Pharisees, the scribes, who were only out for themselves because they knew the scriptures. They knew that Christ was the Messiah, but they didn't care. They just wanted to keep their power. Now let's go to Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So this is Christ 
in the city that he grew up in. And Nazareth was a hood. It was a ghetto. It says, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for the read. So Christ was doing this every Sabbath. That's why it says he went, and as his custom was, this was customary for him to do. Every Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, to the Israelite synagogue. It says on the Sabbath day and stood up for the read. And so he read every Sabbath. He taught every Sabbath, reading on. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. This is Isaiah here, y'all. But it's Esaias in the Greek. Hold on, y'all. My bad, y'all. I didn't mean to do that. All right, reading on what verse are we in? Oh. I'm sorry, I lost my place. That threw me out. We're in verse 18, y'all. The Spirit of the Lord. Nope, we're in verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So this was Christ. This is how was shy reading this passage from Isaiah. Now listen to what he says. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what is Christ What is Christ reading? Where do you get this from? So let's get Isaiah chapter 61, y'all. Let's see where he got that from. And this is actually the gospel. This is what the gospel truly is, y'all. So somebody asks you, What's the gospel? You take them right here, man. But this is what it is. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings. The gospel, right? Because the word gospel means good news. So this is where Yahweh Shai, this is where Christ got this from. This is where he's reading from the book of Isaiah. He says, uh, to preach good tidings unto the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. What captives? The Israelites. They're the only ones in captivity. <laughs> Once again, the, the, the Assyrian captivity, northern kingdom, the Babylonian captivity, southern kingdom, also the Persian Mede captivity, southern kingdom. The uh, Greek captivity, southern kingdom. The Roman captivity, captivity, southern kingdom. This is what Isaiah was talking about. This is what Christ was reading. And Christ, matter of fact, I ain't going to give it away. Let me just keep reading. And the opening of the prisons to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Look at the terminology. Our God, not the whole world's. 
to com- to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Zion was a mountain or a hill in Israel. It says to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall, I'm sorry, yeah. So I just wanted to read the verse 3. Now let's go to uh, Hosea, let's get Hosea 6 and 1. So this is what Christ was reading from, but Hosea had the same message also. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. And it reads, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he had torn. And the most high did church. He ripped us up out of the land, sent us throughout the four corners. He said, the scriptures say he picked us up and threw us like a ball. It says, and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. This is what this is what Christ was sent for. This was his job, and this is what he's expressing when he's reading in Luke chapter four. Let's go back there now, and we're in verse twenty now. And Christ's gonna tell you too. Watch Luke chapter four and verse twenty. Closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them all, I'm sorry, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So everybody's looking at him. He closed the book, sat down, everybody's looking at him, verse 21. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Because Christ was doing all of this. What was he doing? Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the poor Israel. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He was healing the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives. He was telling us that this was the way to get out of captivity. It says, and recover, recovering of sight to the blind. He was making blind people see and to set at liberty them that were bruised. He was healing us, man. In verse 21, he says, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So Christ knew his mission. He he was making it known to the Israelites. That's why he had came, man. But listen to this, verse 22. And all bear him witness and wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this? Joseph's son? <laughs> so they, they're, they're, they're in awe right now, but they still are saying what? Man, we know him. This Joseph's boy. Verse 23. And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. This is Christ prophesying about his crucifixion and what they was going to say. This is the level of disrespect that we have for Christ when he walked the earth. And not just us, his main opponents, 
the Pharisees and Sadducees in the essence, reading on verse 24, and he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So a lot of us didn't accept Christ, didn't respect him. Look at the level of disrespect that we were showing. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to start at verse 22. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. So this is Christ now prophesying about his death, telling his disciples. Verse 23. And they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. So the disciples were sorrowful to hear about Christ and him uh, prophesying about his death, about him being crucified. All right, y'all. So I want to go to this article. Let me pull it up. And what the hell is going on right now? There we go. Tripping. All right, y'all. Here we go. All right, this article, y'all, is from ChristianPost.com. And the headline reads, Jesus' crucifixion described in graphic detail by physician in Lee Strollborough's book, The Case for Christ. All right, I'm going to read a little bit of this that we're going to jump. So we're going to be jumping uh, back between this and the scriptures, y'all. So it reads, Christ's crucifixion was an act of sheer brutality and barbarianism. Yet many people today still don't know the horrific details of the physical torture he suffered at the hands of Roman soldiers. In the recently updated version of his New York Times bestseller, The Case for Christ, a journalist's personal investigation of the evidence for Jesus, Lee Straubel, a Christian apologist and former legal journalist for the Chicago Tribune, teamed up with Dr. Alexander Monterell to walk readers through the gruesome details of Christ's torture and crucifixion and describe what his physical body endured before he died. The torture inflicted on Christ was so intense that at the time, no word exists that could capture the essence of his suffering. I hope y'all hear this, man. It said that the stuff that Christ went through was so intense that they didn't even have a word to describe it during the time of his crucifixion. Today, the word that attempts to do so, cruciating, so that's the word they came up with. I believe, this is a quote, it is derived from Latin, escuratia, crucify. So it would would have been later after the crucifixion that this word was invented, Storbell told the Christian Post in a recent interview. He explained 
that the word was invented to capture the extreme pain and suffering literally means out of the cross. So this is what the word excruciating means, out of the cross. Matherell, a sought-after expert who holds a medical degree from the University of Miami in Florida, honed in, a, honed in on a various aspect of Jesus' death in Starbell's book. Some people may have a general understanding of how Christ was tortured. Maybe they've seen the 2004 film, The Passion of the Christ, which depicts how the, the Savior suffered, bled, and died for mankind. Not mankind, for the Israelites, but I'm going to read it home. And figure, and figure they have seen all that they need to know regarding the extent of his pain. The following details from Matarell, however, just might make them think twice. In the case, I'm sorry, in the case for Christ, Orbel says, Matarell explains that Jesus had likely been close to death before he reached the cross. Let me read this again. Jesus most likely had been close to death before he reached the cross. As, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscle and produce quivering rivets of bleeding flesh. I want us to hear this. When Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was captured, he sweated blood out of, out of distress about the crucifixion. This is there's a known medical condition called hematridosis. It's not very common, but it is associated with, with a high degree of psychological stress, material adds. So let's get there, y'all. Let's get Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if I'll be willing, remove this cup from me. So he didn't, Yahushua didn't want to go through this, man. This is how you know he was a man, and he felt the same type of emotions, the same type of feelings that we would feel. Don't nobody want to die, especially die in the manner that he knew he was going to die in. This was prophesied. He did not want to go through this. I don't blame him, because I'll be honest with y'all. For Israel, for the way we live and the way we deal with each other, I wouldn't have did that. I wouldn't have died for us. I'm going to be real about it, y'all. Y'all would have been SOL if y'all was looking at me to save y'all. But this was what, what was so extraordinary about Christ, man. This is what was so great and magnificent about how shot. He literally, he literally took a beating for people that didn't deserve it. Remember our people was trying to kill Christ. 
the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the essence, they wanted to mark him. And they knew he was the Savior. Read it again, verse 42. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy, but thine be done. He said, man, it ain't what I want, though. He didn't want to die. People got this thing in their head that, oh, he's a son of God. It was no big deal. He was an angel because y'all caught up on that. Let me calm down. Y'all caught up on that fictitious doctrine about some damn immaculate conception that never happened. It never took place. But this is what it's done to you psychologically, to where you can't relate to the feelings of Christ that he had the night he died. You can't relate to that. Because you think he wasn't a person like you. He didn't have feelings like you. Oh, he knew his job. He was cool with getting murked for people that hated him. Stop. Verse 43, I'm getting to the point, y'all. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Y'all see this, right? Why would an angel have to appear to strengthen him? He's going through it. Let me paint this setting for y'all. You're on death row. And you're about to die in the morning. Imagine the stress you're going to be up under. This is the same thing that Christ went through, y'all. But even worse, because you're on death row, you walk into a room and you just don't come out no more. Christ had to get a severe, brutal beating before he was hung up on the tree. Verse 43, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. What was he praying? Remember verse 42 when he said, let this cup come depart from me? That's what he was praying earnestly about. I know it's in the scriptures. It says he prayed twice. But it says right here in verse 44, he prayed more earnestly. He prayed more. Please don't let me go through this, Father. Please don't let me have Daddy, do I have to do this? Please. I don't want to go through this. Daddy, please don't let them do this to me. Verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I've never experienced this, and I don't think most people have. Because said, they said that this was not, I can't imagine being under that much stress to where you sweat and blood. I've been stressed out before. Hell, Mashaba seen me stressed out. He told me, to, he said, all right, this is, this, that's the oldest i ever seen you look. He seen me stressed out. That was just the look. I wasn't sweating damn blood, though. 
Christ was sweating blood. This is a real medical condition. Let me pull it up, y'all. Hemothrombosis. I know I'm butchering it. And I'm getting this out of, uh, where is this coming from? National Library of Medicine. Hemothrombosis. I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm jacking it all up. Hemothrohydrosis. Hemothrohydrosis, also known as hemothrohydrosis, hemodrosis, and hematidrosis is a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture. So your sweat glands started to, they, they burst, causing them to ex- exclude blood occurring under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Extreme physical or emotional stress. This is what Christ was dealing with. This is what he was going through. Extreme emotional distress. Let's go back to the other article. All right, what was I at? Uh, I'm sorry, y'all. Let me find my place. I'm back in an article, ChristianPost.com, dealing with the crucifixion of Christ. It says, when Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was captured, he sweated blood out of his out of distress about the crucifixion. This is a known medical condition called, oh, come on, don't do it to me, hematridrosis. It's not very common, but it is associated with a high degree of physical stress. At the real ads. What this did was set up the skin to be extremely fragile so that when Jesus was flogged by the Roman soldiers the next day, his skin would be very, very sensitive. Oh my goodness. So this 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 condition heightened his sensitivity. Roman floggings were known to be Terribly brutal They usually consisted of 39 lashes But frequently were a lot More than that He said they consisted of 30, So 39 times And it says But frequently were a, a lot more than that So frequently they went overboard With it You got more than 39 lashes Now I should have did more research. But they said that Christ was beaten with what they call a cat of nine tails, which was sort of like a whip that had – it was a stick that had a lot of whips on it. Put it like that. 
and at the end of the whips was these metal uh, bars and hooks that would tear out flesh every time they hit the person. If y'all haven't go, have y'all, if y'all haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch the Passion of the Christ, and that is accurate. That is accurate, y'all. Read it on in the article. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather thorns with metal balls woven into them, he continued. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises or contusions, which would break open with further blows. As the whip had pieces of sharp bone as well, which would cut the flesh severely. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders down to the back, the buttocks, and the back of the legs. It was just terrible. A third century historian by the name of Isbius described the flogging by saying, the sufferer's veins were laid bare, and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. Oh, goodness. So his whole body was just opened up, and all the internal things were coming out. Medrell adds, we know that many people would die from this kind of beating, even even before they could be crucified. All right, so let's go to Matthew. We can come back to this article. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read this whole chapter, y'all, but we're going to be back and forth. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Y'all see this, right? This was our, this was our people. Verse 2. And let's not act like our people were not familiar with the brutality of the Romans. We were very familiar with the brutality of the Romans and how they did things, how they got down. We knew this. Why do you think they even went to have Christ crucified? They wanted him to go through this because we hated him that much. We hated him that much. And I'm saying we because these were our ancestors, y'all. And a lot of us still hate Christ. A lot of us still hate him. A lot of us still walk around thinking he with white skin, blue eyes, long blonde hair, thinking that's the standard of beauty. If you've got this ingrained in your mind and somebody has came to you and shown you the true depiction of Christ and you still got it ingrained in your mind, you hate Christ. 
point blank period, man. You hate him. Let me read. Anyway, let me read on. Let me read again. Matthew 27, 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. All right, so we're dealing with history, y'all. So let's go into history, find out who this Pontius Pilate character was. Because a lot of people like to try to play and say that Christ never walked the earth, he never existed, all this other mess. How is it he never existed when you got all these characters that are mentioned in the Bible you can go to secular sources and find information, the same information. Anyway, this is from Cyclopedia Britannica. Pontius Pilate, Latin in full, Latin in full, Marcus Pontius Pilatus. So that's his full name in Latin. It says died after three died after thirty-six CE, Roman perfect governor of Judea. So he was the governor of Judea. We just read it in Matthew chapter 27, verse 2. We read it again. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So back to the article. Under the emperor Tiberius, so he reigned, he was the Caesar of Rome during the time of Christ, who presided at the trial of Jesus and gave the order for his crucifixion. So it's still talking about Pilate. So he's the one that presided at the trial of Christ, and he gave the order for him to be crucified. Historical and traditional accounts of the life of Pontius Pilate. According to the traditional account of his life, Pontius Pilate was a Roman Escurian knight of the Sinite clan Ponti, hence his name Pontus. He was appointed perfect of Judea through the in- interventions of Sidonius a favorite of the Roman Empire, Tiberius. That his title was perfect is confirmed by an inscription from Caesarea in ancient Palestine. Protected by Sejanus, Pilate incurred the enmity of Jews in, in Roman-occupied Palestine by insulting their religious sensibilities as when he hung worship image, images of the emperor throughout Jerusalem and had coins bearing pagan religious symbols minted. So the reason I want to bring this out, y'all, is to show y'all that the Jews, the Israelites as a whole, hated the Romans and hated Pilate. But yet and still, who did they go to to have Christ crucified? Somebody they hated. Which show what? The hatred that they have for Christ. What's the saying Esau got? My enemy's enemy is my friend. Reading on. After Sejanus's fall, Pilate was exposed to sharper criticism from certain Jews who would, I'm sorry, who may have capitalized on his vulnerability to obtain a legal death sentence on Jesus and it cites John nineteen twelve. So let's go there, y'all. But what this article is saying is that the Jews used this as leverage to crucify Christ. The fact that all of them hated him, all the Jews hated Pilate, they used that to get him to crucify Christ, man. Underhanded mess. 
Let's go to St. John. Chapter 19, we're going to start at verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Y'all hear this, right? This is what we said. If if you let Christ go, then you ain't the friend of Tiberius Caesar. Read on. Whoso whosoever maketh himself a king, speak it against Caesar. So this is what they were saying about Christ. Because remember, they start calling him the king of the Jews. So he they were saying whoever makes himself a king. He's the enemy of Caesar. So they were using this as incentive for Pilate to kill Christ, to kill Yahushua. Reading on. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbathah. And it was the preparation of the Passover. So we get ready for Passover. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be reflecting on how the Most High brought us out of Egypt and saved us. We're supposed to be reflecting on that. But instead, we got murder in our heart for his son. And about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out. Away with him, away with him, crucify him, said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. These are Israelites, y'all. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. Read it again. Then delivered he he him. Therefore unto them to be crucified And they took Jesus And led him away So you see I hope everybody's seeing how We were definitely under the Roman captivity To the fact that These wicked Israelites Had to go to the Romans To get permission to kill Christ Verse 17 And he bearing his cross Went forth into a place Called the place of a skull Which is called in the Hebrew God Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two other with him, on either side, one, and Jesus is and Jesus in the midst, and Pilate wrote a title, and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was night to the city. So everybody saw this. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek. And remember, I covered this in previous episodes. Cohen Greek was the common language that was spoken all throughout Israel, Palestine, in Latin, because the Romans spoke Latin. And they also spoke Greek. Verse 21. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that 
he said, I am king of the Jews. <laughs> so these, once again, Israelites saying, man, don't put that he the king of us. Put that he said he was the king of us. Even in death, they're disrespecting Yahweh, man. Even in death. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I've written. So you got this nation being a stand-up dude. He didn't even want to kill Christ, but he was forced to. Now let's go back to this article. Let me read this part again. Um, After Sejanus' fall, Pilate was exposed to sharper criticism from certain Jews who may have capitalized on his vulnerability to obtain a legal death sentence on Jesus, John 1912 cites, and we just read that. The Samaritans reported Pilate to Ventilius. So these Samaritans, these were Israelites, so I want to say the Samaritans. These were Israelites, and Samaria was in the northern kingdom, so these were Israelites that migrated and went back. In fact, a lot of us migrated and went back to all the different captivities that we had been in. But it says the Samaritans reported uh, Pilate to Ventilius, legat of Syria, after he attacked them on Mount Grizzle. He was then ordered back to Rome to stand trial for cruelty and oppression, particularly on the charge that he had excluded men without proper trial. According to Estabias of Caesarea's ecclesiastical history, Pilate killed himself on orders from the Emperor Caligula. So it says that Pilate committed suicide. All right, y'all, we're going to jump forward a bit. Let me get my notes. They're all over the place. I'm sorry. So let's go back to uh, the article on the crucifixion of Christ. And let's pick up where I left off at. It says, oh, man. Yeah, there we are. It says, but Christ survives only to face more suffering on the cross. Materell then provides further medical analysis as he describes the site of the cross where there was a a vertical beam already in the ground. The Romans then drove tapered spikes through Christ's wrist, attaching him to a horizontal beam called a, pat, a, a, pat, a patabulum. This was a solid position that would lock the hand. If the nails had been driven through the palms, his weight would have caused the skin to tear, and he would have fallen off the cross. So the nails went through his wrist. So this is their account. Uh, let, me, let me keep reading. It's important to understand that the nail would go through the place where the median vein runs, Monterell says, explaining that this is the largest nerve going out of the hand and would be crushed by the pounding 
nails. So this is what they saying. They saying that the nails went through his wrist. So let's get Psalms twenty two and verse sixteen. So that's their account. Let's get what the Bible says. Psalms twenty two and verse sixteen. For dogs have compassed me. This is what Christ <laughs> called us dogs. He said, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. So the article says his hands. I'm sorry, it says his wrist, but the Bible says his hands and his feet. Let's go to Matthew 27. And we're going to pick back up in verse 2. We're going back to the article too, y'all. So Matthew chapter 27, verse 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So this is Judas Iscariot who tried to give the money back that he had sold Christ out for. Verse 4, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. (laughs) So now he comes to his senses. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. He's like, man, we got nothing to do with your situation. You having to change the heart? That does not concern us. Verse 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Good for him. Verse 6. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. So now these niggas want to have a conscience all of a sudden. Not about killing Christ, but the fact that they they got blood money. (laughs) Verse 7. And they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that was spoken, that, that which was spoken by Jeremy, Jeremiah, so was talking about, the prophet, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. So I'm showing y'all people don't read the Bible, man. Still talking about the nation of Israel. Verse 10. And gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto them, said unto him, Thou sayest. So he never said he was the king of the Jews. He said, Man, you said you say I am. Verse 12, and when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against thee? And he answered him, To never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. So Christ would not answer. Now, at 
at, and we're going to find out later on why he wouldn't say nothing. Now, at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, to my Passover, whom they would. And they had, had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas, verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Now listen, verse 18. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. What did Pontius Pilate know? He knew that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, in the essence, had delivered Christ up of him. Damn, that time went by quick. They were envious of him, and that's why he was delivered up. Pontius Pilate knew this. Y'all, I'm going to go a little longer. Uh, y'all that are listening in, uh, I think on the phone, y'all probably going to get cut off or online. Either one. But if you get the opportunity to keep listening, please keep listening because I'm going to keep going. But Pilate knew that they were envious of Christ, and that's why they was killed. They wanted dead. Now, let's get Acts. Acts chapter 7, we'll verse 9. And this was Stephen running down, giving a brief history of our people to our people. Now listen to what Stephen said here. Acts chapter 7 and uh, that one verse 9. I'm sorry, y'all. Not verse 9. I want verse 59. Matter of fact, let me start verse 51, and it reads, um, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised. So this is Stephen talking to us. He said, we were stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Me, our, our minds were dirty. And ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets... Have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which shoot before before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. So once again, this is Stephen giving a brief history of us to us, letting us know, man, we killed all the prophets. Y'all know what they did to Isaiah? Y'all know what they did to Jeremiah? We persecuted them and killed them, no different than Christ. And what did all the prophets that the Most High sent do? He told us the truth about ourselves, man. He told us the truth about ourselves. That's why Christ was killed, y'all. Let's get Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. This is this has been the history of our people. Envy. Envy has always been in our hearts. What What's the problem that Israel faces now? I'm talking about the Israelite community. Envy. Envy of other groups, man. Everybody want to be the man. This is nothing new. 
Let's go back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 18 again. For he knew that for envy they delivered they delivered him. Verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So his wife was having bad dreams about whatever because of Christ. And she knew it was because of Christ. But this is how the most high works. Let's get Job chapter 33. Job 33, and I'm going to start at verse 14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceives it not. So the Most High will be showing you something, man. It'll be right in front of your face, but you just can't see it. You refuse to see it. You'll be in denial. It says, in a dream, in a vision of night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumbering upon the bed. So when does the Most High speak to you also? When you sleep at night in your dreams like he was speaking to that lady, giving her what? Nightmares. It says, then he opened the ears of men and sealed their instructions. Now, let's go to, uh, matter of fact, let me keep reading. That he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. So the Most High would change your mind about some stuff. In your dream. Now let's go to wisdom of Solomon. Now the, the, what I'm gonna read here, y'all, is the accounts of the uh, Egyptians when uh, the Most High had that whole night of darkness come upon them. So let's go to wisdom of Solomon, chapter 17, and start at verse. Let me see. Let's start at verse 14. But they, sleeping the same sleep that night, which was indeed intolerable. <laughs> What's an intolerable sleep, man? You're having damn nightmares. So what was Pontius Pilate's uh, wife having? Nightmares. She couldn't sleep. Read it again, verse 14. But they, sleeping the same sleep that night, which was indeed intolerable and which came upon them out of the bottoms of inevitable, inevitable hell. So her worst nightmare, this is what she was talking about. But this is what the Most High does. We read it in Job, y'all. Keep reading verse 15. We're partly vexed with monstrous apparitions, apparitions of spirits, and partly their heart failing them, their mind, some of the heart. For a sudden fear and not looked for came upon them. <laughs> now let's go back to Luke. Now we can understand what this lady was experiencing. Pontius Pilate's wife. I'm sorry, Matthew. I'm sorry, I lost my spot. Matthew 27 and verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, 
have thou nothing to do with it with that man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So she was having nightmares because she knew that it was because of Christ. That's why she told her husband, hey, don't have nothing to do with this situation. Don't have nothing to do with that man. Hold on for a second, y'all. I need to take a break real quick. y'all i am back so we were in matthew chapter uh 27 and we're verse 19 uh reading in the 20 it says but the the sheep i'm sorry the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask barabbas and destroy jesus y'all see this right they were insisting on killing yahushua the governor answered and said unto them whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. See how we're demanding that Christ be murked? When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now remember, uh, Pilate had issues with the Israelites, the Jews anyway, because of uh, the uh, images that he hung up in the temple. that Y'all remember me reading from that article. So he had beef with them, so he was trying to get back on the good side. This is why he even allowed that to go down, because he didn't want no parts of it. Even his wife told him not to deal with the situation. Then answered all the people and said, listen to this, his blood be on us and our on our children. <laughs> this is how damn evil we are as a people, as a nation, y'all. So <laughs> his blood be on us and our our kids. 
This is how evil we are as a people. And this also, y'all, is how much we hated Christ, man. Let's get Isaiah chapter 30, man. This is this has been in our people. This is why this is why Isaiah said this. Watch this. I'm sorry, this is why the most high told Isaiah this. 38. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book. So write this down. You write something in a table and a tablet, it's going to be forever. So it's ingrained in the mind of everybody that reads it. That it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people that we are. Lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, man. Who else could this be talking about, man? Verse 10. Which say to the seers, see not. And what was Yahweh? What was Christ? He was a seer. <laughs> he could see their end. He could see their demise. He could see what was going to happen to us. It says unto the prophet, prophesy not unto us things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceit. This is what we really want. We want Christ to fluff us up and tell us a bunch of lies. And not tell us the truth about ourselves, about how damn wicked we really are. Verse 11. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Because this is what our people want, man. Still this day and age. He was like this in the past. We still like this now. Man, get out of my way. Don't tell me the truth about me. Or you bring up the truth about them, and what do they do? They automatically start talking about you. What about what you did? What about how you wicked? What about how you are? No different than they did with Christ. But the only difference was Christ was blameless. <laughs> he had no wickedness. And that, that infuriated them the more. You're trying to blame somebody because they they pulling out your mess, but you ain't got nothing to blame them for. That frustrates you even more. This is why they just kept trying to set them up. Because he couldn't be blamed for nothing. He was blameless. This is how our people get down, man. We niggas to the core. Read this again. We say to the seer, see not. And to the prophet, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceit. Get ye out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Man, don't tell me about the law. Don't tell me nothing that's righteous. I want to hear wicked stuff. I want to hear how I can get over. I can. I want to hear how I can, how I can be half a halfway Israelite, uh, only an Israelite in appearance. Verse 12. Wherefore, thus said the, the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon. What do we stay in? We despise, we stay despising the word of the Most High. Most High say be in order, I ain't going to be in order. The Most High say follow, I ain't going to follow. The Most High say love, I ain't going to love. The Most High say uh, have compassion, I ain't going to have no compassion. The Most High said that his ways ain't our ways, but we keep wanting to do stuff our ways and have a damn opinion. This is what we stay on, man. 
We stay on that BS always, all the time, forever. Verse 13, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall. What iniquity in verse 12? Because we won't, because we hate the word of the Most High, we trust in being oppressed, we perverse as hell, it's going to be a what to us? A breach. And he calls that iniquity, which is sin. It's going to be a crack in the armor. It's going to always plague us. we always going to be ready to fall. We weren't around wondering why we're going through what we're going through, why we got got uh, uh, mental issues, why we stressed. This is why. Verse 13, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And we deserve every bit of it. Going back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 25 again. Then answered all the people, all the Israelites that was there in attendance, and said, his blood be on us and our children. (sighs) Wicked, wicked people, man. Then released he Barnabas unto them And when he had scorched Jesus He delivered him to be crucified Now this is only one sentence Detailing the beating That Christ went through Just a sentence Explains a, a, a very excruciating Traumatizing event And it's just one sentence here And if you read too fast You read completely over it Verse 26 then released he Barnabas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. <laughs> Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, y'all. Who have believed our report? <laughs> we didn't. It says, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender, a, a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He, he had no form nor comeliness. And when he shall see him, and I'm sorry, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him or desire him. This is talking about Christ, y'all. When it says there was no beauty in him, uh, no no comeliness in him, the word comely means beautiful. And it wasn't, man. So I want to go to Nature Knows No Color Line, J. Rogers, uh, page 40, y'all, which uh, explains what it's talking about in Isaiah chapter 53. So it says, the earliest traditions of the Savior of mankind, from the Buddhist to Jesus, depict them as black or dark skin. So from Jesus to Buddha, black people. That ain't the point I want to get to. Listen to this. Uh, Easler R. says that Josephus 
Jewish historian of the first century said that Christ was a man of simple appearance, mature age, dark skin, with little hair, about four and a half feet, 54 or 58 inches tall, hunchback, with a long face, and undeveloped an underdeveloped beard. So this was the appearance of Christ according to the record of uh, Josephus. Now, I've looked through the Josephus for this, but I can't and I can't find it because it was removed, and I covered this in another class. But reading on, it says, he says this appearance this this appears in the reconstructive original Halotus the second. The early Christians, he says, accepted that picture, including Tertullian and Augustine, but that the Halotus underwent the usual corrections at the hands of Christian copyists with a view to embellishment. The portrait we see today of Christ, it's supposed to be Christ, it ain't, was embellished. It says the Christians had gained power. They have become mighty. Christ had become a king, and it would no longer suit to portray him as unimpressive in appearance. The, or, the original text says Eastler would give offense to believing Christians and the Hellenistic idea of male beauty. <laughs> Y'all hear this, right? And this, this goes hand in hand with what we just read in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. There was no beauty found in Christ. And the Most High did that for a reason, because he know we. We are respecters of persons. Remember, Saul was picked to be king of Israel because he was tall and handsome. The Most High had to send somebody down that wasn't beautiful, that wasn't handsome, to see if what? If we truly believed. It's easy to believe in somebody who has beautiful appearance, has tall statues. It's hard to believe in, in a hunchback, a damn near dwarf. Say he had a long face. Nobody wanted to be around him. Hope y'all seeing this. Read on in this. It says, therefore, they changed the pen picture of Christ to ruddy, six feet high, well-groomed, vulnerable, erect, and handsome, blue eyes, beautiful mouth, copious beard. The reference he lists, the references he lists, y'all, is Messiah, Christ, 411, 421, 442. It says, see also F. Hertz, Race and Civilization, page 183. Uh, 1928 on this. A portrait of Christ entirely apocryphal, apocryphal and with absolutely no foundation in truth was con- conceived somewhere along the line by a European artist according to European ideas of beauty. And that seems to have served as concept for thousands of pictures that since followed. Since the first one, or ones, were entirely the product of imagination, 
it follows that all the rest are their only value artistic. So I pull that out, y'all, so it, it could help explain what it's talking about in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. Let me read this again. It says, he, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and I'm sorry, what verse was I in? Verse 2. But he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground, he had no form of nor comeliness. He had no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him, man. And that's the way it was. Nobody desired Christ because he wasn't a remarkable, beautiful specimen. The Bible tells us so. So what we just read out of Nature Knows No Color Line, which he said he quoted Josephus on this matter, I don't see that being far-fetched. So let's go to the Josephus now, y'all, and see what Josephus did have to say about Christ. We're going to go to page 480. I'm going to get the book, and I'll let me get there, y'all. So I'm only going to list the last thing I'm going to cover before uh, we shut it down. So this is Josephus, book 18, chapter 3, paragraph 3. Now, there was about this time Jesus a wise man, if it is be if it be lawful to call him a man. So this is Josephus' account. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. Don't go there in your mind, y'all. He was the Christ. And when Pilate at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, it goes along what we just read in Matthew chapter 27. It's talking about those scribes that went to Pilate or those principal men, those Pharisees and scribes that went to Pilate to have Christ crucified. It says, had condemned him to the cross. Those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive I'm oh, sorry, alive, alive again the third day, as the divine prophets have foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. So Josephus even knew that Christ was written about in the Old Testament. That's why he talked about the, the prophets have foretold these things and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. And you know what? It's only a paragraph, y'all. It's a short paragraph. That's why I say I believe that things were took out of the Josephus. Because Josephus writes very extensively about people. You don't read no damn half a paragraph that he wrote about somebody. So I'm inclined to believe what J.A. Rogers uh, quoted in Nature's Knows No Cuddle Line. Maybe brothers that have older Josephuses, maybe they still got Josephus' account of what Christ looked like in their books. But, uh, y'all, we're going to stop right here. I think this is a good stopping place. Let me mark my place. I hope everybody got some edification out of the class, man. The water machine for hooking up the broadcast, y'all. I want a little uh, longer, man, because I wanted to get further in this class. And uh, 
man, the spirit was just hitting me, y'all. But uh, once again, man, thanks for everybody tuning in, listening. Hope I got some edification from the class. And until until uh, next week, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tell the Pod Tuesdays, Tell the Pod Tuesdays, Tell the Pod Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say shalom. <laughs>